0: so, God, thank you for the opportunity to share your word with us, which is a part of you, God. Thank you for giving us the time to be in an intimate space with you and learn principles that you have laced throughout your word. Speak your servants. Listen. Open our eyes to your uh, the understanding that you would have. And we'll give you all the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. Especially for those who are are coming along. Uh, for our online family, we want to welcome you. You guys watch faithfully for the encouraging words that you send from time to time. Those mean a lot. We're, we're grateful for that, that we're able to be a blessing to you in some point in time, in some way. Uh, our goal here is to reach the lost, to teach the found, and to change the world one life at a time. And there's nothing more effective and more powerful than the word of God. Just using the unadulterated Word of God and so we're grateful for it. Uh, There's a dimmer button on that mark and I I messed up and hit that. That's not your fault. So if if you can put it on, it'll it'll still work. Uh, But we're so glad to have all of you today and all of you online. Um, If you're online or if you're watching later, drop a chat uh, with your uh, just with your state and city so we can see uh, where you're from. It's encouraging to know all the places uh, that you guys watch us from people who are in this building, uh, and that's good to see you guys and see your faces ready to learn. Uh, that's it's a blessing. So we're going to get started, uh, Genesis chapter 44, getting closer and closer to the end. Um, Dave, if you don't mind, would you grab me a, a, another mic just in case this one goes out? Um, I think it would be good. We're using new stuff. I'm just a little bit self-conscious. It's working good, I'd imagine. Um So Joseph is testing his brothers, and the topic we have today it says, "Should I let them back into my life?" If you want this uh, study, you're able to get it, or if you want the study questions to study along with us, you're able to get that at wbministries.org or withaberry.com or encounter360.org. Just go into the notes section from the live stream. Uh, Sometimes it has a a better view even than Facebook. We can only stream so much. uh, So much resolution for Facebook, but um, on the live stream, on the websites, it it gives a pretty clear stream, and so we're grateful for that. Uh, We're going to start Genesis chapter 44, verse 1, uh, and we're going to read down a little bit. We might not read the whole chapter, but we're going to read some things. So uh, Genesis chapter 44, starting at verse 1, uh, we'll be glad to go. Uh, They're they're handing me a mic. They can't hear me online. Okay, they can't hear me. So. let's make sure that this will be a little bit better. I'm pretty sure they'll be able to hear this and um, hopefully that will help us a little bit more. So Genesis chapter 44, starting at verse 1. You guys ready to read? (laughs) Let's go. And it reads, Then he commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, And put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away on their donkeys. They had only gone a short distance uh, from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not uh, that my Lord drinks and by this that he practices divination? Yeah, you have done evil among this. Guys, too, if you want to check and make sure that that, that monitor up there is, is on, uh, that the inner ear monitor and those things are on, um, yes, to make sure that those are on. That does affect things sometimes, so make sure the power on is on to those, and uh, that should be good. So, We see that Joseph is in the middle of testing. Joseph is testing. And um, we see that the first question says, Joseph is still testing his brothers to see if they have actually changed. And I I ask a question, do you think it is okay to test someone before reconnecting a relationship with them? How many tests do you think are necessary? Now this is important because you have to realize these are just not anybody. This is somebody who's caused Joseph trauma, This is somebody who's assaulted him. This is somebody who's plotted to murder him. These are not nice people in Joseph's eyes, so they have created a traumatic experience. And we talked about that before, uh, like last week said what Dr. Henry Cloud would say, don't let anybody back into your life until the reason that caused you to leave in the first place is gone. That it's okay. love people from a distance. It's okay to do right by people and love people, but not to let them back into your personal spaces and into your personal life. Um, Jesus had a church, and we see in John 6 that he had the 70. Uh, We also see um, that Jesus had the 12 disciples, and not only did he have the 12 disciples, um, but he had an inner circle out of that 12. Jesus didn't let everybody into every space. And so we need to know that personally and relationally because in the friendly world of Christendom, sometimes we think just because Christians are called to be nice, that Christians are called to let people overcross boundaries into their life. There are boundaries in your life. In other words, there are certain places that people won't know you as. For me, I'm a father. There's a part of me of Willie Berry that my children will know that the congregation will not know because that's a different space. That's a space between a father and a child. Between a wife and a husband, or a husband and a wife, there are different spaces and places, uh, and, and we are it's okay. Everybody say, it's my space. Right. It's okay to have space around you, and before Joseph lets them back into his space, Joseph has become successful in spite of their attempts. Joseph has become successful in spite of all the pain. That He's been in so it is only feasible that Joseph says before I let you into my space before where you can harm me again that I make sure that you are no longer that person who is wanting to harm me. Now people can harm you unintentionally but if somebody's harmed you on purpose before it's okay to keep space between you. So I'm going to ask that question. Do you think it's okay to test somebody before reconnecting a relationship with them? And how many tests do you think are necessary? Who thinks that's okay? (laughs) Everybody thinks that's okay. How many tests do you think are necessary in that process for that to happen? Brother Bob hit hit the nail on the head, as many are needed. In other words, if I'm letting you back into a space, it's the space I need to let you into, so therefore, It's gonna take as many as it takes time for me to feel comfortable with you being in that space. I can forgive without letting you in my space. I can release you from hatred and anger. I can release you from those things. It doesn't stop what you did. I know what you did to me, but that doesn't mean I'm going to walk in unforgiveness. But at the same time, I need to test you. And if you don't want to be tested, um, that's fine. Let may the Lord watch between me and thee (laughs) while we're absent one from another. Uh, And it's okay to say that you can't be in my space. For somebody, one test may be enough. For some people, two may be a test. Sometimes it may be according to the offense. If it's a light offense, it may take a little time. But if it's something heavy, it may take a lot of time before you can build back trust. Respect is earned. Respect is old. Trust is earned. What do you mean by that? You owe every man respect. You owe every woman respect. But trust has to be earned over time. So he's trying to see if these are the people... Uh, that he needs so he's devised this trap he's put something in uh, their sacks Uh, he's put a cup a silver cup that the Egyptians used for divination they would use this wine cup to determine the 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 way spirits uh, would move and things like that and so he took the silver cup that belonged to him and he placed it in Benjamin everybody said Benjamin Out of all the people he placed it in Benjamin's basket. And we'll see it'll come to fruition in just a second towards the end why he did that. But he's testing them. He's put this cup in here, and now he's coming up and let's see what verse six says. Let's read that together. What does it say? When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver and gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. Be careful what you say. And we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack. And he searched being the eldest to the ending to the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. We know this because we saw that Joseph told him to put it in his sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. They're in trouble. And, and in their mind, we're going to die. We just told him now they told their father that they would look out for who Benjamin to make sure that when they came back, Benjamin was in a good condition. And so if something happens to Benjamin, it's not going to be good for the brothers to go back. And chances are their father is going to have a stroke and die. And now all of a sudden the cup is in who's sack? It's in Benjamin's sack and now they know that Benjamin might have a, they just said it's okay to kill him. Now the, the, uh, the servant is in on the ruse. He already knows this is here. He planted the evidence and they're bringing them back. So Joseph is doing this. Why is he doing this? Why is Joseph doing all these tests? Number one, he's doing this. And number two, we'll give you the answer. Joseph wants to make sure changes in his brothers are not superficial. Everybody say superficial. What is the difference between superficial change and true repentance? Who can tell me that? What's the difference between superficial change and true repentance? While they're answering that, if you guys could pull up 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, chapter 7, verse 9 through 11. Uh, What's the difference between true repentance and sacrificial? Brother Bob, raised his hand. Then I see Brother Pastor. Deep down and on the surface. That's good. That was a good try. But but let me ask that again. What's the difference between superficial change? That actually is the answer, but it's a little deeper. I'm searching a little deeper and true repentance. Uh, Pastor past Ernie. Superficial changes, <laughs> they can change easily back into the habit they have. Oh wow. keep going. That's it. It, it, it hits the nail on the head, Brother Ernie, so I can kind of surmise what he said. Superficial change generally means that they're going to go back into it. That's something that's done from outside stimuli, but something that's repentant is done deep from the heart. There's something that clicks in the mind. We remember from our teaching that repentance, most times we teach about repentance, we always talk about uh, okay, I repented that. And we would talk to say, oh, I repented this. And we would kind of talk falsely in a way because we felt that if we just said, oh, I repent after we did something, we, we got away with it. how many ever somebody ever kind of talked to you like that? Just say you repent and move forward. But that's not what met, uh, repentance means. Everybody said meta. meta. No, yeah. Those two words in Greek is what the Bible calls repentance, which means meta, like Facebook meta or metamorphosis means to change. Noye of the mind, gnosis of the mind. It literally means to repent means to change the mind. Everybody says, change the mind. The mind is the soul, which is the, the Bible says that you are, have a body, you are a spirit that has a body, and you possess a soul, which is the mind, the will, and the emotions. That comes from First Thessalonians. And so what we have to realize is that true change only comes if we change deep down in the what? Soul. Now, how do we know this? Well, give me Bible for that. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. That's Repentance repentance happens first in the heart and in the mind if God doesn't get a hold of your mind and your heart true change is not going to happen you know what if you get a speeding ticket you'll slow down for a little while but sooner or later when you're running late what are you going to tend to do speed but if you have a speeding ticket and you speed and you actually injure someone and you spend some time in prison guess what you're less likely to speed because that that caused the breaking in you didn't it in other words, it wasn't a just a quick, I'm sorry, I'll get over it. But sometimes it takes a process. Everybody said process. process. Sometimes it takes a process to, for us to change. It takes a breaking for us to change. That's why when some people come out of prison, their changes, some of them are genuine, and some of them go right back to what they were going to because it wasn't a genuine process. There wasn't a breaking. Everybody said breaking. In order for you to come to God, there has to be a breaking. If any man would come after me, Luke 9 and 23, he must first, what? Deny himself. You got to break down yourself. What I know to be true, my thoughts and my processes, I have to count that as lost and I have to break down. And in order for that to happen, true godly repentance comes from us being broken down. So what Joseph is saying is, before I let you back in my life, I don't want to see that you're just going to be let back in my life because you know I'm the prince and I have power and because I have power I can now kill you and you're going to tell me what I want to hear. I want to see that you are broken about what you did for me. I want to see that your mind is changed and that you would never harm somebody that way again. Amen. Amen. So let's pull up 2nd Corinthians chapter 7 verse 9 through 11 and it'll go a little bit more. We can see a little bit deeper into this. We'll stop along the way. It says what? As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting for the you felt godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Now, stop for a second. Paul is you can leave that on the screen. Uh, You just take it off the uh, off of the screen. Paul is saying he's written a letter to them. He's had a communication with them and he's had some choice words with them. This 2 Corinthians is actually at least the third letter that Paul has written to the Corinthians. If you look in 1 Corinthians, you will realize in the first part of his opening, he talks about the letter that he wrote to them previously. So Paul has been having some trouble with the behavior of the people in the Corinthian church. And what he's saying is, what I wrote to you may have hurt your feelings, but if it made you repent, I don't care. That doesn't sound like a modern church, does it? because in the modern church, do we care more about if people change or do we care about, more about if they're upset or we hurt their feelings? What would you say? Show of hands, what's the poll? I'm, I'm gonna put that out in the chat. Uh, what do you feel uh, out, in, uh, out in Facebook or YouTube or wherever you are, do you feel that people, uh, that the church cares more about people liking them, A, or B, uh, are they willing to hurt their feelings to tell them the truth? Uh, Put that out there, A or B. B would mean if they're willing to hurt their feelings. A is if they don't want them to be hurt. And how healthy do you think that is? How healthy do you think it is to be in an atmosphere of yes men? How healthy do you think it is to be in an atmosphere where everything somebody says to you is affirming and there is no relationship, there is no discipleship, there is no community, there is no correction, which means that you can't get better without what? Correction. So Paul says, if I, what I said to you bring, leads you to salvation and it gives you repentance and changes your mind, it was worth it. I hate to hurt your feelings. It's not my choice to hurt your feelings. I wish I could tell you everything that was good and the sun was always shining. But sometimes the only way you'll ever change is if somebody tells you the what? truth about yourself if you love God you have to love God enough to be told the truth my spiritual father said that so much he put it up on a plaque and 20 years later I, I, I remember the creed he would say, Jesus Christ and him crucified showed us a con- unconditional love uh, do you love God enough to be told the truth about yourself and be effective in his ministry in other words true truth and true change come from a changing of the mind and that means sometimes that the word is going to go contrary to what we feel and what we believe and we have to come into compliance. Let's pull up uh, verse 10. Let's read that. What does it say? <coughs> For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. In other words, there's two types of grief. You can be grieved and be so sad that you die, and also that you can just be sad of the consequences. Some people that are, 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 are caught in something or doing something, they're not crying because they're sad about what they did. They're crying because they got caught, and now they're crying because they're going to have to ha- suffer the consequences. That's the truth of the matter. When you come before the judge, you come in there. You don't come in your regular clothes. You come in there with a suit and a tie. You have on glasses. You don't even wear glasses. But you, you want to look smart and you want to look likable before the, before the judge. And when they start talking about your sins, you look real sad in the face. Because if you don't look like you're repentant at the parole board or, or wherever you are, guess what? You're probably not going to get out. But here's how we know if you have godly grief because godly grief comes with change. Everybody say, Godly grief, godly grief? Comes, with comes with change. There's an old song that says, Lay me at the throne of mercy where I will find sweet relief. I am kneeling there in deep contrition. I'm kneeling there in deep sorrow for my sins. I think it's time for the people of God to be sorrowful about their sins. We all sin, but now we got to the point where we we just feel okay about it. And, And that doesn't mean that we live in a state or a place of condemnation. But we should be in a place that when we sin, not if we sin, everybody say when. Because you are going to sin. Um, the Bible says, James says, if we say we have no sin, we lie. But it should be a place that when we sin, that our conscience, our heart should be bothered for. it, And we, it should spark us to what? Change. We, we, we can be confident in knowing that if we have salvation, that God's going to give us grace for that sin. But there should still be a space in our mind that says, this is not Okay. I need to change this. I need to make some changes in my life because if not, if you just have worldly grief, uh, what happens when, when you get rid of the punishment and there's been no change in the mind? You go right back to the same old what? Habits. How many people go up and down with diets? The doctor tells you that you need to make some changes. You make those changes. You don't really change your mindset. You make the changes and after a while you start to get a little a few belting not, up notches on your belt loop you say i'm doing good and you go right back to what you were doing why because there was no change in your heart you were just changing because you were scared of the consequences and there's a lot of people that have come to christ that way they were just scared of the consequences and they they didn't really make a resolute change in their heart but true repentance will be done from godly grief everybody said grief is good <laughs> If it's placed in the right place. So let's see what verse eleven says for us. Uh, what does it say? For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what longing, what zeal, what punishment at you have reproved yourself innocent in the matter. So, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong. But in order that your earnestness, I'm reading ahead to verse 12, for us might be revealed in you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. In other words, you remember that in first Corinthians, Paul is saying you have a man and he's 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 having relations with his mother-in-law. And you guys haven't done anything to rectify. Yeah, it's in the Mark's like, is that in it? It's in there. And he says that there's a man who's having a, re- a with his mother-in-law and the church has turned a blind eye and not dealt with it. And then he says this. He says, turn that man over to Satan. That sounds kind of harsh. But he says excommunicate that brother. We don't have a lot of church discipline like that nowadays because people don't want to sit under discipline many times. When discipline comes, their heart isn't turned from God. You'll know when somebody's heart is really turned towards God. If you have loving discipline that's not there with spiritual abuse and somebody puts you under discipline, if you're really loving God, you will sit under that discipline even though you don't have to. Even though you say, I'm grown, I can get up and I can go to another church. But those people who are truly not repentant, you know what they do? When discipline is offered to them, they hop up and say, you're just persecuting me. And they go to another church. No, you're not being persecuted. You just can't stand to be corrected. And you will never grow unless you can stand to be what? Corrected. You need to have community in your life where there's somebody with some authority and weight in your life to say, I have to pull your car. And Paul says, turn that brother over to Satan. Why? Because he wants to take away, as Dr. Tony Evans says, the covenant protection that is in the body of believers. Disfellowship him. Say, you're not a part of us. Let Satan have him. Why? Not so Satan will have him forever, but that when God's covenant protection is taken off of his life and when, and when Satan finishes beating him all up and down side the head, maybe he'll turn in repentance and have a repentant heart for his sin. Well, where do you get all this from, from the Genesis? We see those same things. Are they not indignant when, they are, when they're accused? Why? They're indignant when they're accused and say, "What? we didn't do this and you can check all of our stuff because they've changed. They're genuinely trying to be better people, but it's on their conscience. And we'll see that in a second. We've seen it in previous times. Why? Because they remember what they did to their what? Brother. You may not tell everybody your business and I recommend that you don't. Confession is good to people that are in a safe place that won't harm you. But at the same time, that when you know something is wrong, one of the best ways you can fix, the best apology you can have. Everybody said the best apology that I can have is to change. You can tell somebody that you're sorry to you're blue in the face. But, the, but then I add a prepositional phrase for what? What are you sorry for? Are you sorry that you got caught? Are you sorry that you have to deal with the consequences? Or are you sorry that you created offense before God and to this person that you caused him injury? And that's what what Joseph is doing. I'm sending you through all these changes and all these tests because you may be sorry, but I need to see what you're sorry for. Are you sorry that, that, that your life seems to be going bad and that this man that you know, but you don't know you know, is terrorizing you and you're having to do this? Are you sorry that you're on parole? Are, are you sorry that, uh, that, that uh, you're in jail? Are you sorry that you, you lost a spouse or a loved one? Or are you really sorry that you offended God and you're committing a life to change? The best way, your best apology to somebody that you have done wrong is that you become a changed person that you no longer stay the same person that committed that offense. And that's what Paul is saying, that if that suffering causes you to change, well then suffering in that instance is good. If, if the pastor hurts your feelings sometimes, I try my best to be ginger, but I, got, I have to be straight and I have to be true. And so if the truth just hurts your feeling, it just what? Hurts. <laughs> if you don't come back next Sunday, I still am required by God to tell you in a loving way the what? True. And I don't care how ginger you are. I don't care how soft you are with it. I don't care how nice you are with it. Sometimes the truth just what? Hurts. It just hurts. So he's looking and he's testing these people. So sometimes, and now these, these, these guys, they're under pressure. They're tearing their clothes. They're renting. And why is that? Because sometimes pressure can cause true what? Repentance. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 50. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 50. I'm going to let them pull that up and get that on the screen and see what that is. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 50. First uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 50. They, you guys pulled up verse 5. Thank you for being so quick with that because I didn't give it to you. But pull up verse 50 for me if you don't mind. I know that's a ways down. Um, but if you, if you could grab that, I'd be so grateful. They're working on it. Guys, give them some time. I didn't give that to them. Um, so we want to make sure. That they have it, I usually send them everything ahead of time. I may go ahead and read it, read it while they're uh while they're pulling that up. Uh and the computer may have fro- frozen. I'm gonna pull it up here because I want us to read that and I want us to get that. It may not be in that same same uh version, but it'll be there. Second Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter five, verse fifty. I might have wrote that down wrong. No? 1 Corinthians 5 and 50. Here it is. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood not, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I put the wrong thing down there. Second Corinthians. 1 Corinthians verse 5 and 50. Uh, I put the wrong thing down there, but I want to read this to you. Um, so we'll keep going. I put the wrong thing in there. That's, that's why they're looking at me like I'm crazy, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to get, get you to know that true pressure causes what? Repentance. You won't truly repent. Unless sometimes pressure is on your life. Um, it's nothing like going through some things to change your mind. Corporal punishment. Remember in school when they had paddles? Isn't it amazing how a little corporate punishment can change your mindset? And sometimes God has the paddle. It's called life. And God says, what I can't tell you, life will teach you. And sometimes I'll let you go through some things in life. And these boys have had to go through 40, uh, 20 years, excuse me, uh, 20 plus years now, because it's been at least a year since they've seen Joseph and they come back with the guilt that's been riding them this entire time. They've had to deal with coming back and telling their father that another son is gone. And this is important for us to know why, Joseph, are you taking them through all these tests? This is the third test you're taking them through. Why? Because even in the church, we need to be tested. Did you know that? <laughs> First Timothy chapter three, verse six, uh, it's talking about uh, qualifications of deacons and, and and elders and pastors. And one of the qualifications says this. What does it say? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall in the condemnation of the devil. Does anybody know what the condemnation of the devil is? Starts with a P. Pride. That's the condemnation of the devil. He said, I will lift my throne above that of the Almighty. I will put my throne on the high hill. I'll be worshipped. He had enough pride to even tell Jesus. And we know he didn't change. Because even 2,000 years ago, we see him telling Jesus in the scriptures, I'll give you everything if you'll fall down and worship me. He knows who Jesus is. This, this being just asked the Son of God to fall down and worship him. He's a pretty prideful fellow, isn't he? And so the Bible says that even when people seek office in the church, it's not good to throw people into positions very quickly because they can fall into pride. It takes time for them to be what? Tested. I need, because everybody I meet in church, I'm going to see their representative. And I know that it's just like dating. When you when, when they see you and you dating, they don't see you. They see your representative. They don't see you. And sometimes until the dating process is over. They wake up the next morning after wedding and you realize she don't look like that. <laughs> and he don't have a six-pack. He had a girdle on. <laughs> and we start to see the real of them. And sometimes we really want to say, can I make a refund? Because I bought this under false pretenses. Sometimes that's it. And sometimes we do that in church. We show pastors, we show people and church people what we think they want to see. But I'm not interested in or nor impressed by what you think I want to see. I'm going to say, everybody said time will tell. Time. Time will tell who you really are. Can you sit there well I, I left the church because they weren't using my gift i was they were not using my gift and i got frustrated and the pastor he just don't like me because my anointing is higher than it. no he 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 did that for a reason you know why because if he sits there long enough he'll see are you really wanting to serve or is it all about you if it's if you really want to serve if you have to sit there five years or ten years you'll sit there and you'll do what's called for you to grow but if you really care about yourself as soon as, you don't, as soon as you're not the bishop on the third day, you're ready to do something else. <laughs> you, so it's important, even in the church, that we give people time to make change. Don't throw up people, and that's what he's doing here is he's saying, "Should I let them in my life? I need some space." He's had plenty of space. He was was blindsided by his brother showing up. Now he's getting some space. I've I've had Benjamin. I've had a simon in jail for a year. And now you're back. I need some space. I'm going to give you another test. What did he do? He brought them in. He fed them not just because he wanted to feed them. But because he gave Benjamin five times more than he gave the other ones. And you best believe when he gave them five times more. Everything is centering around who? Benjamin. Why is he centering everything around Benjamin? He wants to see, have they changed? Are you going to treat Rachel's other son like you treated me? I want to see, have you really changed? So I'm going to put you in some scenarios to see, have you changed? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to hold this one back and see if you'll bring Benjamin back. And if he comes back, does he come back alive? So Benjamin's now here. Now I'm going to give Benjamin much more than I give you because I want to see now how you handle people. Can you stand to be blessed? Can you stand to be around people that are more blessed than you? That's a good question, isn't it? A lot of us can stand people. I had a preacher tell me that one time. He said, Willie, people can handle you here. And then he put his waist by hand by his waist and he said, people can handle you here. And some folks can even handle you here. But then he said, but there are very few people that can handle you right here. There are very few people in life that are happy when God elevates you above them. They try to be happy, but sometimes it's just not in people to be happy for other people. So what Joseph is saying is, you didn't like me when daddy gave me a coat. And now Father God has given me a kingdom. So i really got to see what type of people you are because pharaohs get assassinated all the time. Why was the cupbearer in prison? Why is he a cupbearer? Because people tried to poison the king. So before I let you in my space, I need to know, are you going to try to sabotage me? I need to know, are you just trying to get close to me so you can get a good proximity to put in a knife? And this time, I want to see what you're going to do when Benjamin's life is on the line. Because here's the thing. Now Benjamin has the cup. And they have said that whoever you find the cup with, that's who you can kill or he's going to be a slave. Now, guess who has the cup? He's planned all this stuff out. Joseph's first test was making them bring back Benjamin. What did he learn from them bringing back Benjamin? What did he learn? Because they could have stayed gone, but they brought back Benjamin. What did he learn about how they treated, treated the younger people now? What did he learn about that? What did he see in their character? Can he see a little change in their character? Can he see a little maturity this time that they keep their word? Because the last time he left, they were lying. They were were dipping his coat in blood and saying, "Uh, Daddy, Daddy, uh, here's this coat in blood and selling him off. They were dishonest, wasn't they? Sometimes you have people, they've lied to you in their life, in your life. And you got to get the, hey, you, I caught you in lies. I want to trust you, but it's going to take some time to trust you. I might, if you're in a marriage and your spouse has lied to you, I may be able to trust you again, but I might need to have the passcode to your phone if you have one at all. You might have to get a life 360 and i might have to see everywhere you go for a little while. Why? Because that trust has been broken and it has to be what? Restored. Well, can't you just believe I've changed? No, I'm from Missouri. You got to show me. (laughs) Sometimes we have to see that. His second test, we saw that, is can you stand to be what? Blessed. Can you stand to see other people have a blessing above you? Can you be happy for your brother rather than be miserable? If you, I'm gonna tell you something, something that speaks more loudly anytime Then the loudness of your enemies is the silence of your friends. I'll say that again. (laughs) Something that speaks way more loudly than the anger of your enemies is the silence of your friends. When God begins to bless you. But the conversations every time you get blessed get shorter and shorter. What does that tell you? It may not be safe to keep that person in your space anymore. It may mean that we were good friends at this level, but sometimes as God elevates me, I can't keep you in this space because we were cool as long as we were together. Now God's putting me into a different place. My bank account's a little bit bigger. You still struggling to say, how you gonna pay your rent? That's great. And now I'm talking about rental property. And and it's not that I'm better than you, but our conversations might make you a little envious and you've shown me that you're not happy when I'm blessed. Every time I start talking about a blessing, you get quiet. So every now and then, I don't tell everything, but every now and then, i let a little blessing slip out and i watch people. I'm watching to see how they respond. I'm watching to see if they put on the plastic smile, but their eyes say, I'm really not happy for you. I'm doing those things. Why? Because what I'm testing to see is to see, everybody say, are you safe? Are you safe? You don't let everybody into your house and you don't have to let everybody into your life. Even when you disciple, some people think when you're discipling them, it gives you the access to them the whole way. No, I don't give you full access. I give you what you need to get where you are. But you have to have what? Boundaries. Because boundaries, everybody said boundaries? Build, build. Respect. respect. Boundaries build respect. So we see this right here. And Joseph is given the third test. And I'm going to skip down. Uh, because when he tells them that... Uh, We'll see something. Let's go to verse 16. Uh, because this is where we want to end, and this is what I want you to see. Genesis chapter 44, verse 16. Is this helping anybody? Yes. Amen. All right. Verse 16, what does it say? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found now wait a minute they innocent they didn't steal anything could that be a Freudian slip (laughs) before Freud showed up he said well this is because we're guilty what's on his mind what they did Joseph. It's still saying, you know what? The reason these bad things keep happening to us is because it's not just Benjamin that's guilty, even though he's innocent. It's funny. People <laughs> are saying that they're innocent. Uh, the guilty people are, are, are innocent, and they're saying that they're, they're guilty. And Benjamin's innocent. Benjamin's innocent, and he's counted as guilty. And they're guilty. And in this scenario, they're counted as in, in, uh, as a uh, as uh, innocent. Isn't that crazy? But the guilt is there. And what Judah is saying is this is how repentance happens. How does true repentance happen? You don't get, re- you don't come to Christ and you don't truly repent until you first say, I am a what? Sinner. We don't like that word, which means in a term uh, that God, God uses a lot of law and a lot of counting in his terms. It means everybody say, I'm guilty. You cannot, when you come before the judge, before the judge produces a sentence, you first have to have a what? Plea. He says, how do you plead? And you can't get a plea bargain until you plead what? Guilty. You can't get a plea bargain with God until you get, this is how you get a plea bargain with God. Lord, I'm guilty. I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I'm wrong. I confess that I deserve all the things that will happen to me when I die if I don't receive you. But I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for me. Will you save me? I put myself, I throw myself on the mercy of the court. And he will look at you and say, you're guilty, but I'm going to remand your sentence. Case dismissed. So we see in Judah, he's saying we are guilty. And then he begins to go through uh, all this of telling him, and we're not going to recap that right now. He basically tells them that we told our father that we would bring him back. You told us that we couldn't get food without bringing him back. Our father said he would die if we brought him. We waited as long as we could. But now if we don't bring him back, he is going to die. Our father is going to die and, and he's going to go down to Sheol. So here's something. I see something else in this character. When they get through Joseph into slavery, did they one time consider that his father loved them more than he did them? So therefore, what would, what would happen to his father, their father, if Joseph would die? They cared so much about themselves. They didn't care about the pain they would cause their own father. They allowed him to suffer for 20 years. Thinking that his son was dead. Ooh, isn't that cruel? That's malicious. That's not just cruel. That is malicious. That you knowingly let your father grieve, be depressed and in a state of grief, not for 20 days, 20 years, 20 plus years, knowing that his son was alive and you haven't told him the truth. But let's see what Judah does. Let's see his character. We're going to look at verse 33. We're looking at verse 33 now. Because let's see how Judah responds now. He says, what? Let's read it together. Verse 33, chapter 44, verse 33. They're coming up with it. I'm going to go ahead and read it. And you guys can catch up with me. Oh, they got it right there. What does it say? Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of Judah as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. Judah, what does Judah say? What is he saying? He's saying, take me instead of him. He's saying, I believe the boy is guilty. You found it in the sack. But this time I'm going to put others' interests ahead of my own. I'm going to put my father's interests ahead of my own. Rather than let my father be heartbroken again to lose the favorite son, I'll sacrifice myself. I'll let Benjamin, who apparently to me is guilty, go free. His character has what? Changed. And we also know that Judah is the one who's carrying the promised seed. Judah means praise. Judah has decided, take me instead. This is not the same Judah that said, well, we can sell him. We ain't gonna kill him. We can at least get some money out of the deal. This is a different Judah, is it not? He has truly changed. Mm. You'll know when somebody has repented, when they have changed. He says, for how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that will find my father. I immediately went to Ephesians where it says that we should esteem others higher than I what? Sell. It doesn't mean that we abuse ourselves, but it means that as Christians, we should put others' interests sometimes above our own self-what game. Mm. Sometimes being a shepherd and a pastor, you don't always win. You lose. Yeah. Pastor Ernest started laughing because he's a pastor. He knows. <laughs> sometimes being a shepherd means that the, sleep, the sheep get to sleep while you have to stay up and stand watch. Sometimes being the shepherd means that the sheep get to sleep while you have to get up in the middle of the night because God is pricking your heart to get up and pray for people that... You don't even know why he's asking you to pray or why he's uh, prompting you to pray at this very hour. Sometimes I'm laying in the bed and a person's name will come on my mind. And it's hard for me to wake up. But somehow when God wants me waking up, my eyes will pop open and I cannot go back to sleep. Believe me, I've tried. But you cannot go back to sleep until you roll on the bed and get on your knees and pray for this person. You don't even know why you're praying for them. But God will have you pray and do these things. He'll place people on your heart at random times. Why? Because a call to pastor is not a call to be a king. It's a call to be a servant. And a call to Christianity is not a call to prosperity. It's not a call to houses and cars and land. If you have it, good, that's great. Nothing wrong with having that. If you don't have money, I have a prophecy. Fill out a job application, get a job, and within two weeks you're going to come into some money. It's not that hard. Sometimes we over-spiritualize some things. That's how it works. Uh, You want prosperity? Live on less than what you make. Get a budget and save your money. But true spiritual prosperity, so rich people can have money, uh, unsaved people can have money and be prosperous financially. Saved people can have money and be prosperous financially. That's, that, that's not the issue. But what we're looking at is your soul prosperity and your soul prosperity. You're not going to get soul prosperity. He said, I would it that thou being health, prosper and being health even as thou what? Soul prosper. If your soul doesn't prosper, everything else is temporary. Every dollar you have in the bank at some point in time is gonna is gonna burn up one day because it's where earth, earth will burn. And yeah, well, 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 Pastor Barry, nobody uses money anymore. We use digital currency and we use cryptocurrency. Well, guess what? Those servers are gonna burn up. <laughs> You can use Bitcoin and and blockchain and all those types of encryption all you want, but sometimes those are gonna go away. Those are, are going to go away. What matters is your character. Who are you? Are you willing to be the person God is calling you to be? Are you willing to change? And also to let somebody know who's burdened down by somebody who's trying to make them guilty. You know, sometimes people will say, I forgive you, but I can't be around you. And you try to guilt them into, well, why? They don't have to. That's a choice they have to make. Sometimes we hurt people and we hurt them knowingly and we hurt them unknowingly. And guess what? If you haven't, you will. And you're going to be hurt. But it's okay to test people and say, this is the process. Before I let you back into my life, you got to prove to me that you what? Changed. Mm -hmm. That's where the question comes in. Should I let them back in? Well, it's a simple answer. Have they changed? Have you had enough time to see them change? And this is the thing, that I don't wanna see you in the summer. I wanna see you in the Michigan winter. What does that mean? Anybody can change when the environment is conducive to it. But I wanna see you in adverse conditions. I wanna see your character when you don't have any money. I wanna see your character sometimes when you're at the bottom of the barrel. I wanna see your character when somebody's getting blessed beside you. Because how you react to them is how you react to me. And for those of you who have been hurt or faced trauma and those of you online who have been hurt and faced trauma, it's okay to say, I need space before I can let you into that part of my life. And it's okay to say, I forgive you, but I'm never letting you back into that part of of our life. That's important for us to know. So as we close today, I pray that something has been said that will be on your mind throughout the week, that will help you to be able to grow, that will help you to be able to learn, and that will help you be able to live your life in a better way, that you are better leaving these doors than you are when you walked into these doors. So we're grateful for those things, uh, and we're grateful uh, for the things that are happening. I think our team just put up there having some technical difficulties, that's okay. Those things happen. I'm just grateful that you're back there. I'm grateful for all the team and the people that God has placed around us. Things won't go perfect all the time, that's okay. We're just doing our best, doing our absolute best to get the gospel out. And thank you guys for what you're doing back there. Uh, So we're grateful. If it's not, whatever the case may be, uh, it'll be okay. Um, And so I'm grateful for them. As a matter of fact, can you give them a hand back there? They, 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 that's a lot (laughs) to deal with all those different things and all those moving parts and different screens and different buttons and different programs. It takes a lot. To do that stuff back there. I've taken several people back there to try to get them to stay. And they generally give me that deer in headlights look. And then they walk away and never come back. (laughs) So I'm grateful for the people who have the gift uh, for media and technical ministry. Because that is itself a ministry. And it's a growing ministry. It's affecting people. Uh, So thank you for what you do and allowing us to do it. Because the gifts you give and the things you do help us to take the gospel um, to them. And bless other people whom you may never see. Uh, that are maybe far from God or close to God and help them in their walk. So are there any questions, any comments before we finish today? <laughs> yes, Brother Irwin. first part 5 that, Yeah. And after so let his soul may be saved. That's it. I don't know I want it that way. Yeah, that's it. That's it, and he's honest. First Corinthians five five. That's what happened. I put a, I put a zero instead of putting the parentheses. First Corinthians five five, and they were putting that up there. That was the right thing. Let his soul be turned over to Satan, that his soul might be saved. That when we uh, when we fellowship and we discipline people in the church. It's never that they won't ever be restored to where they are. That, that's for the world to do. And sometimes, unfortunately, the church does that, too. They, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. They want grace, but if she, they do one mess up or whatever, but they'll throw you away. But thank God for there are plenty of biblical, godly churches that their, their goal is restoration. That, uh, the Bible says that if a brother's overtaken in the fault, you, which are spiritual, restore that person with a spirit of meekness. So when, exactly what you're saying. Paul is saying... That I want him to turn over to Satan. I know he's going to experience some pain. I know his life is going to get turned upside down. But guess what? I'd rather he do it and save his soul. <laughs> when I was younger, I, I had a, a friend of mine. He was praying for uh, a son. And he prayed um, to him, Lord. And I heard him pray, Lord, however you get him in, get him in. Just don't let his soul be lost. And, and, and I believe God will answer those prayers. Uh, and things like that. And sometimes it takes us going to the bottom of the barrel before we change Doesn't it, Brother Dave? Sometimes it takes, it takes the doctor or somebody else saying, this is your last warning before you say, I got it. I got it. You ain't got to tell me no more. I, I, I got it. <laughs> so I pray that this has been a blessing to you guys and to those who watch, watch us online. And I pray that God has richly, uh, Brandon's got some. What you got, Brandon? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That goes a lot to my testimony. Um, yeah. I grew up in the church as a lot of people here know. Yeah. Um, and I was in the world doing mm-hmm. that work. Um, mm hmm. I can't remember if there's a theologist or a philosopher or somebody who says, so you know what evil that you are capable of, mm-hmm. you don't understand how blissful and peaceful it is to control. hmm. Um, and that, that's very real. We've talked Yeah. We've we'll talked about that. Yeah. That's it. Praise God. And for those who are listening online, he says he's been some places that he's proud, not proud of, but he's proud to see that he's not there now. And like he said, that that's his life story, that he, he did try the world. He tried other things. But praise be God. Although life's been hard, though, he can he'll rejoice. You're rejoicing that hardness. That's why David said this, and this is one of the most confusing scriptures to me that I read. When David said, it was good that I was afflicted. I looked at that and I said, what? <laughs> it was good that I, afflicted. I was afflicted. David, what's wrong with you? And he said, because if I wasn't afflicted, I never would have learned your laws. The hardness that happened in my life turned me to you. It turned me away from my sin and turned me back to you, God. And I'm very grateful for what he's doing in your life. And, and just keep, keep tracking. Keep day by day, just keep going, and, and time will tell. Um, just keep going, and, and God will do a work in your life. One thing, uh, one thing that I learned, mm-hmm. in contrast to growing up, um, is it's one thing to be good and be good because you're not uh-huh. um, And that's how I was. I just did when I was told, I didn't think to myself. I didn't have my own thoughts or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I was good. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but then once you are aware of what you're capable of, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. it's that much more noble when you control that you're capable of it. that's it that's it and that comes from those two words from last week responsibility and accountability and making those choices the Bible says mortify the deeds of the flesh in other words who's supposed to do that we are <laughs> we're supposed to crucify the flesh and sometimes that's hard to do so I'm going to pray a blessing over you guys and I'm praying that what's been said will germinate in your heart. I know it's germinating in mine. We all need to hear, hear those healing things. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus uh, for those people who have suffered abuse and suffered hurt and, uh, from a loved one or someone close, God, that are struggling with letting them back into their life. I pray that this gives them some light and clarity to the situation or if there's somebody who's committed an offense and can't understand why. Um, that person has said they forgive but won't let them back into their life. That they'll have peace about that. And that they'll, they'll just give their apology by becoming a better person. And realizing that, that that situation may not be completely reconciled or restored to the same same place that it was. But that they can become a better person as a result. And God, I pray for those, God, who, uh, like, like Brandon said, are, are there and they're in the world. And they've left God and they've left the truth. Lord God, I pray that you allow uh, God... The situations in the, their life that turn them back over to you um, Lord God that they'll come back come running back to the truth even the ones who have been a part of this fellowship long before I even got here God those who have left the truth God I pray in the name of Jesus that they will come in repentance and if there's somebody under the sound of my voice online that has left the faith God I pray that as they're watching silently or somebody who may be an atheist or an agnostic or, or into something else that the, the power of your Holy Spirit will touch their heart Um, so that they will feel the presence of your Holy Spirit and come closer to you and surrender to you. God, I'm so grateful that you offer unconditional love for unconditional surrender. And we unconditionally surrender to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise.